Today my guest is Dr. Patrick Westoff, and we will be discussing his book, The Economics of Food, How Feeding and Fueling the Planet Affects Food Prices. This book was published in 2010 by the FT Press. Dr. Westoff is the director of the Food Policy Research Institute at the University of Missouri in Columbia. He's had an active role in both academia as well in, as in the legislative setting in the United States. Welcome, Pat. Hi, thanks for the opportunity. Pat, tell me a little bit about what inspired you to write this book. Well, during the uh, summer of 2008, uh, food prices were very much in, in the news. Uh, I was getting lots of calls from reporters around the country and around the world trying to explain what was actually going on in those food markets. Uh, an editor gave me a call and asked if I wanted to try to put those, uh, those thoughts into a book. and thought that might be a good opportunity, so I took advantage of it. Now, your, your book focuses on the economics of food, but it, it orbits around the change in food prices between 2005 and 2009. Give me a little bit of background uh, about food prices over the last little bit. Well, we, we've seen food prices increase in the U.S. over the last several decades at an average rate of about 2.5% per year. And so for most of the last uh, couple of decades, food prices really weren't that much in the news. It was a relatively stable set of, uh, of uh, uh, things going on in those food markets. It meant that food price inflation was very similar to overall inflation in the economy. But then came 2007 and 2008. We had uh, big run-ups in the prices for a large number of uh, agricultural commodities and a, a sharp increase in the overall consumer food price index in the U.S. and concerns about food prices around the world. So it definitely got lots of folks' attention. And then just in time for everybody to, to get excited about the, the really high price of food in 2007 and 2008, we had the global recession that made things go the opposite direction a year later. Talk to me a little bit about it. When we talk about food prices, where that information comes from, like where the data on food prices and commodity prices, how did you talk a bit about this in your book, but where where is this information coming from? Well, the, uh, in the U.S., uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics estimates uh, consumer food price inflation by a variety of categories every month, so we can find out what uh, the average price of food was this month versus you know, last month or, or versus a year ago. Uh, every every uh, few weeks we, we get new information about that. Globally, it can be more of a challenge to get information about consumer food prices in particular countries, uh, but individual countries do have their own statistical services putting out this information. In contrast, commodity markets are probably easier to follow. We have uh, a lot of information about futures markets for grains, oil seeds, meats, sugar, and a variety of other agricultural products where uh, it's very easy to get information on a daily basis about what people think is going to happen to the price of those commodities. I want to talk a little bit about why we're concerned, um, or the general public is concerned about these changes in food prices. I want to just back off a bit and talk about, you know, economists usually look at changes in prices as really important to coordinating the market system. If prices go up, then it may induce uh, incentives to plant more corn. If the for example, the corn price increases, or it may, if prices go up, we may conserve on food, or it may induce investments. And importantly, it it allows for uh, local decision making. If a farmer wakes up and he's learned that the price of soybeans has gone up, then he may plant more soy soybeans. But we are concerned about um, food prices, and so what 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 are those concerns? Well, you're absolutely right that prices play a vital role in the, the agricultural economy and the economy as a whole. 
in helping folks decide what's the appropriate set of uh, things to try to produce and what are the appropriate set of things to try to consume at any given uh, point in time. Uh, the concerns, of course, come from the fact that food is such a vital part of, uh, of people's standard of living. You know, consumers in some countries spend a very high proportion of their, of their income in food each month. In some of the poorer countries, lower income folks can spend you know, half or more of their income on food. Uh, at any given time. So when there's a big change in the price of food, it can very directly affect their standard of living. A higher price for food can make it much harder for a low-income family to, to be able to meet their basic needs. And of course, the other side of the ledger is that uh, food's also a very source of, big source of income for lots of people around the world. In uh, higher-income countries in, in Europe, uh, North America, and elsewhere, uh, the number of people directly involved in agriculture is relatively uh, small. And so the number of people directly involved and uh, directly affected by uh, food prices in terms of their income is, is relatively modest. But when you're talking about uh, lower income countries, developing countries around the world, quite often uh, a very significant portion, in some places as much more than half of overall uh, population may be involved directly in agricultural production. So the price of food can be important for them in terms of uh, their incomes as well. How does your work experience in Guatemala inform your understanding of, of that issue? Yes, I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Guatemala a long time ago, and it was very good to get the exposure to uh, people who have much more limited means and, and a very different set of, of things that drive their daily decision-making. Uh, the typical person I was working with may have only owned or operated a couple of acres, you know, one hectare of, of land, which might just barely be enough to feed their own family, or maybe not even enough to feed their own family. Uh, so they would uh, uh, use the land that they, they operated to provide some of their basic needs for corn and for beans, and they would have to rely on outside employment for whatever income they were going to have uh, to be able to buy other necessities in life. So for those people, uh, a change in the weather, a change in, in market prices uh, you know, could have a big impact on, on their standard of living. Now, when, when you've talked about uh, the change of food prices, you've directed your attention to a number of specific issues that you thought were important. And uh, I don't know that we'll have time to review all of them today, but I thought I would name them and then we can begin to discuss some of them. And you, you mentioned, of course, biofuel production, energy prices, government policies, the weather, economic growth and changing diets. And there's a focus a bit on Ch India and China here speculation and uh, the changes in the, um, the the value of the U.S. dollar. Of, of that list, uh, is there any one of those or a couple of those the more important? Well, I think over the long haul, what's happening to the global economy is probably as important as anything else in determining where uh, we're going to see food prices evolve to over the over the next several years and over the next several decades. If the global economy is growing at a rapid pace, we're going to see more rapid increases in in uh, demand for meats and other uh, sorts of products that people uh, tend to consume when they have higher incomes. That's especially important in countries like India and China, uh, where we're seeing diets change very rapidly in, in recent years. If Chinese consumers, for example, are, are going to be consuming more uh, meat and, and other high-valued products in the future, that means that we're going to need to more, have more grain to feed those animals, and that's going to have an effect on, on the global system. Likewise, global economic growth will affect the, the price of petroleum and other uh, major energy inputs. And as the price of petroleum uh, changes, it affects not only the cost of, of producing crops and, and uh, livestock products that will be turned into food that people eat, but it will also affect the demand for biofuels. And that demand for biofuels, of course, has risen very sharply in recent years, uh, caused by a variety of factors, including both policy and the overall economy. 
So again, if I had to pick one thing that's really important for the longer haul in terms of determining food prices, I'd probably say it's the general economy. What about for the, the short run, the period between 2005 and 2009 that you that you focus on? Right. If you had to pick one, one thing that was really important during that period of time and continues to be important today, I'd say it's probably the weather. Uh, people who are involved in agriculture know this, but uh, you know some folks who may not deal with agricultural production every day don't really understand to what extent agricultural producers are at the mercy of the weather. If we have a, a favorable set of weather conditions, we can have very large crops, uh, larger than expected, and those large crops can have a major effect on driving down food prices in any given year as supplies exceed the immediate uh, uh, need to to consume that grain or the, those other products. On the other hand, if we have a short crop caused by floods, drought, uh, disease, or whatever, uh, we can have a very sharp increase in food prices as, as, as available supplies may, may come short of what uh, desired levels of demand might be. In 2006 and 2007, uh, we saw crops that weren't quite as big as they'd been in, in 2004 in particular. That caused a drawdown in the overall level of, of grain and other uh, foods that were in storage to eventually we got to where the level of, of uh, grains available uh, for consumption were getting really, really uh, tight relative to what demands were going to be. So people got concerned about that and helped drive up the prices very sharply. Then in contrast, we got to 2008 and 2009, we had much bigger crops than we'd had the previous couple of years, and that helped to restore global supplies of those commodities and made prices fall back again. One of the interesting points that you bring up when you're discussing the weather is this um, this idea that you know if you're more dependent in terms of trade in the global economy, then you're more vulnerable to these shocks, uh, international changes in weather, but that if you're less dependent, for example, on trade, then you're then you basically increase your vulnerability on domestic changes in the weather. And I thought that was important when you were comparing the effect that a drought in Australia might have on consumers in Australia, and the, as in contrast with low-income wheat importing countries. Um, could you just expand on that point a little bit? No, that, that, that's right. If you're talking about um, uh, what happens when you have a drought in a country like Australia, it's not really going to affect food consumption in Australia very much. You know, the Australian market's a pretty open market. Uh, if they have a, a uh, reduced production of wheat in Australia, uh, they'll still feed their domestic consumers, and, and you, know, you won't see a big effect on you know, the consumption of calories in Australia. But their reduced exports out of Australia will mean higher prices for food in global markets, and that will mean uh, an increased cost uh, to consumers around the world uh, that are reliant on imported wheat and other imported grains uh, to try to satisfy their dietary needs. So that's an example of where what happens on the other side of the globe can affect people everywhere on the planet, uh, at least everywhere on the planet where their local policies allow um, prices uh, in the local market to be uh, tied to prices in international markets. In contrast, if you talk about, say, a country in, in Central Africa that because of high transportation costs or because of uh, government policies, uh, may find it difficult to uh, uh, import or export uh, much of its uh, local demand or supply for food. Uh, in those types of countries, if there's a change in, in uh, the weather in Australia or Canada or the United States, it has almost no impact whatsoever on the local markets. But a, in contrast, a change in the, in the local weather uh, can have a huge impact on the welfare of people in those countries. So that's a case where uh, not being able to trade means that you're, you're protecting yourself, if you will, from some of the volatility in global markets, but at the expense of being much more at the mercy of what happens in your local uh, markets. So if there's a, a drought or something in, in some country in Central Africa, it will directly affect the ability of people in that country to be able to get a good diet.
It's interesting that you've, you you know your your primary two issues that you focused in on are the growth and in demand in China and India and then changes in the weather. The one is a demand push and the other is kind of variation in supply as a result of changes in the weather. Certainly two issues that we certainly have paid a lot of attention to recently are biofuel production and speculation. So let's take a moment and talk about one of the first rules of thumb that you have in your book and that is that in increasing production raises the price of food. What, what did you mean by that rule of thumb? Well, we, we saw a large increase in biofuel production in the United States and many other countries between 2005 and 2007. And a lot of people uh, looking at what was occurring in the markets were very concerned that we were taking grain, sugar, and vegetable oil uh, that could be used to feed people and instead using it to produce biofuels. So there were many folks who were drawing the connection saying, well, you know, this, this sharp increase in biofuel production was a major, even the major cause for the higher food prices we were experiencing in, in during that period of time. And so in the book, I try to, you know, try to, to take a look at that, and it's certainly true that is if you are taking more of the, the world's available um, supplies of grains and oil seeds and sugar uh, to make biofuels, it does mean there's less available for other uses, and that will allow sequel result in higher prices. So that is indeed a large part of the story. But it was, as I try to make clear in the book, there's also many things that were happening at that same period of time. It wasn't just biofuels that caused the sharp run-up we saw in prices. There was also concerns about the weather, exchange rates, and many other factors all happening at that same time. Right. Now, when we talk about this first generation of biofuels, we're largely, at least in the U.S., I guess we're largely talking about corn. Talk to me a little bit, and one of the things that I thought was really well done in your book is that you really talk about how a change in the price of corn kind of works its way through um, all of the commodities and eventually into um, into the prices of meats and such. Can Talk to me a little bit about that. Sure. Uh, corn is the single largest crop produced in the United States. In fact, there's more corn produced in the world than there is any other single commodity, uh, agricultural commodity. So, you know, corn is really important just in terms of the amount being produced, but it's also important because of its effect on all the other uh, major foods as well. When the price of corn goes up, it means that uh, uh, farmers are probably going to want to plant more corn or less equal. So they're going to plant more corn, they're going to plant less of something else. Uh, less soybeans, less wheat, less of you know, other crops that might be competing with corn uh, for available resources. Likewise, if you're someone who's using corn, uh, higher prices for corn maybe want you to try to may make you want to try to find uh, other alternatives that you might be able to turn to instead. So for example, you might want to uh, feed more wheat uh, to your livestock if, if wheat is affordably priced. You may want to uh, uh, use more rice in, in uh, providing food for humans if you have a higher price for corn. So those things mean that uh, uh, you'll see substitution away from corn uh, towards other uh, commodities uh, to try to satisfy the demand that's out there. Uh, for feed and food around the world. When that happens, that ends up driving up the price for all those competing foodstuffs as well. So a uh, higher price for corn doesn't just mean uh, higher prices for products that are made directly from corn. It also means higher prices for everything from vegetable oil to bread to, uh, to rice that you might um, uh, see in people's diets. On the livestock side of the picture, corn is the number one feed that's being used to produce uh, pork and chicken around the world. And so uh, and when those hogs are, are and those chickens are going to be uh, uh, needing to uh, have uh, a feed that's more expensive, that means the producers are either going to cut back on their production or are going to be expecting to get a higher price for uh, the, their beef and pork and chicken that they're going to be selling eventually. So while by the time this uh, feeds its way through the system, we end up with higher prices not just for, for corn, but for all the grains, for all the oil seeds, and for the meats and, and other products as well.
So the simple uh, the rule of thumb is that increasing the biofuel production raises the price of food, and increasing the price of corn works its way through all of these other um, other commodities and eventually into the prices of all sorts of food. But you you also mentioned that um, uh, several arguments that complicate our understanding of, of the biofuel effect, and you mentioned some of those. Are there any other um, issues we should think about when we're thinking? Okay, well, well, generally we think the biofuel has, will, will an increase in biofuel production will raise the price of food, but what complicates that that simple rule of thumb, or what other things should we be thinking about? Well, one thing to to remember if you're talking about corn-based ethanol, for example, is that when we produce ethanol from corn, we also get the distiller's grains, a uh, co-product of ethanol production that can be used as a livestock feed. And so, roughly one third of the the weight that goes into an ethanol plant of corn comes back out the other end as distiller's grains that can be fed to livestock. So that all by itself, you know, mitigates uh, some of the effects that you might see from from increased production of ethanol. You know, still we are taking a lot of the calories that are that are in a bushel of corn and converting them to to biofuels, and that does have an effect on the market. Of course, as I've already alluded to, the fact that uh, when we have higher prices for corn, we're going to see more corn production. Uh, means that you know markets do respond, and so it's not as if every bushel of corn that goes into an ethanol plant reduces the amount of grain available to feed the world's uh, people by exactly that same bushel. We're going to see some offsets on supply, some offsets in demand that will uh, mitigate those effects to at least some extent. And then clearly, uh, you know, there's there's many other things that are happening in the market at the same time. People were very quick to to point to ethanol as being the major culprit in in the increase in food prices. You know, one report, for example, from the World Bank suggested as much as 70% of the increase in food prices was due to ethanol, and some others chimed in along those regards. In contrast, uh, USDA Secretary uh, of Agriculture at the time indicated he thought that the impact was much, much smaller. In fact, he was citing re- reports and estimates that it might be less than 5% of the increase in food prices uh, being due to, to ethanol production growth. In our own uh, look at this, uh, at these questions, we think we've kind of come to the conclusion that uh, yes, there were lots of things going on in those markets at the time, uh, and so therefore, the, you know, some of the higher estimates of how important ethanol was in the overall mix of things were probably overstated. But at the same time, it, it was still a very significant effect. I think when you're, um, uh, you know, trying to make sense out of all this, it is important to to remember that, uh, you know, the growth in ethanol production was by no means unexpected. Uh, we knew that we were going to have a lot of new plants coming on stream in 2006, 2007. And the markets, you know, kind of had that information already. So the fact that prices went as high as they did in 2007 and 2008 probably means that there had to be other factors going on besides just the growth in ethanol production. Talk to me a little bit about the policies uh, in the U.S. with respect to that support ethanol production. And I guess this, um, at least in the period that we're discussing uh, these policies, the importance of them depend on on the the price of oil. So maybe we'll discuss, uh, we blend these two topics in now, the the price of energy and the policy issues that you discuss in your book. Sure, we have uh, uh, you know several reasons why people want to produce biofuels, and the simple, of course, to say is, is it's profitable. That if people can can sell uh, ethanol or biodiesel at a price uh, that exceeds their cost of production, there's going to be an incentive for folks to expand production of those biofuels. During the period from 2005 to 2007 in the summer of 2008, we had several things all pushing in the same direction when it came to biofuels. We had policies in the U.S. that were requiring increased levels of biofuel usage. We have something called the Renewable Fuel Standard that each year is mandating an increased level of biofuel use. 
So that provided some security to those who were trying to build new biofuel plants that they, they, they knew they were going to have to leave some market for their product no matter what. But also during that period of time we saw rising oil prices and those rising oil prices meant that uh, people were willing to pay more for, for ethanol because gasoline prices were also going up. So ethanol became a, a, an affordable um, alternative uh, or complement, if you will, to, to gasoline uh, in, in helping meet people's uh, demands for fuel. Uh, so those two things combined uh, uh, really pushed us uh, up in terms of the overall level of demand and supply of ethanol in the market. Uh, it was probably uh, surprising just how fast it was possible to increase ethanol production during that period of time. Uh, we literally doubled uh, production in just a couple of years' time, which is a pretty amazing thing in retrospect that that was possible. We went from ethanol being uh, a, a relatively minor use of corn, you know, being less ethanol, corn being used for ethanol production, uh, than we exported each year in the United States to just a couple years later where, where ethanol use of corn was roughly double that amount that was used for uh, for exporting to, to third countries. So again, really remarkable developments in that respect. Uh, but again, it's, it's both the, the, the policies and the, um, um, the developments in oil markets that mattered here. On top of the, the mandates for required use, we also have subsidies uh, for the use of ethanol in fuel so that every gallon of, of ethanol that's blended with gasoline received a subsidy, uh, 45 US cents per gallon. Um, and that also, of course, provided an incentive uh, for an increased uh, level of production and consumption. Now, now the group that you direct, the Food and Agricultural Policy Research Institute, FAPRI, at the University of Missouri, did a study on um, on the effect of these policies on um, on corn prices. Um, what what were your findings from from that? Well, uh, two things that are probably very important from that find, from that study. First of all, it is certainly true that the combination of policies we have in the United States does provide a strong incentive for additional ethanol production with uh, implications for global markets for not just corn, but all other foods in, across the board. So if you were to take away the existing U.S. policies, we would indeed result in, would result in less production of ethanol and other biofuels and lower prices for grains, lower prices for oil seeds, lower prices for food. But the other interesting finding is that you know, while uh, the, the current set of policies were critical in, in building up the industry, industry now exists. And taking away those subsidies wouldn't result in the complete closure of all uh, the ethanol plants we have out there. We would indeed see a reduction in production, but roughly two-thirds of current production would remain in place even without the current set of subsidies. Uh, so while we would, you know, again, see a less demand uh, for um, uh, corn, less demand for soybean oil, uh, less demand for other feedstocks and biofuel production, it wouldn't completely eliminate those industries overnight. So we would continue to have a significant share of, of, the, of the U.S., uh, production of grain and oil seeds continue to be used for biofuel production. When you, when we talk about oil prices, it seems to me that the, one of the things that um, I mean, it's always had its increase, uh, its effect on production. So it's always had this supply side effect on on the price of um, of food and 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 commodities. And what it seems to me now is that it, it has a it, now it has a strong demand side effect too. So that that the price of oil goes up and then ethanol demand and that plays itself out through the price of corn so there's a demand side effect as well as maybe the conventional supply side effect that we that we think about a increase in oil having on the price of food and commodity prices and you talk about uh, crop the role of oil in in kind of a production and you do one very interesting um, 
aspect of your book is really to break down the production of a farm and look at the role of um, of energy prices. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Sure. Oil prices are obviously important in, in the production of, of agricultural products around the world. In the United States, uh, the, the, the direct way that it comes in is, is of course, in, the f- in terms of fuel. So when the price of oil goes up, it means higher prices for gasoline and the diesel fuel that's used to uh, to operate the country's tractors and combines and all the other farm equipment that people have. So that's a pretty easy to understand effect uh, on, on farmers' bottom lines. In terms of fertilizer, uh, most uh, nitrogen fertilizer in the United States is produced from a process that uses natural gas as its basic feedstock. So when natural gas prices increase, that means higher prices for nitrogen fertilizer, which also has the effect of reducing uh, uh, the net uh, profits for farmers when they are trying to produce a crop. Now, natural gas prices and gasoline prices do not always uh, um, march in tandem, as we've seen, especially the last couple of years. We've seen natural gas prices actually being fairly modest the last two years. At the same time, gasoline prices have recovered from their uh, their, their uh, recession time lows. Uh, but uh, during much of the period from 2005 to 2009, we did see more of a correlation between oil and natural gas prices. So we were seeing... Um, uh, things that were pushing up costs of production to farmers in 2005, 6, in the first part of 2000, uh, 2008, and then uh, a sharp drop in those prices in the last part of the period. So those are uh, things that have been around for a long time, and those are not new effects. Those are effects that have been there forever. When those costs of production go up, it does mean farmers are inclined not to produce as much. Uh, the profits go down, and so there'll be some marginal land that might uh, not be used for crop production anymore, and maybe not quite as many inputs applied. Uh, as well that can reduce yields at least a little bit. So these things uh, do have the effect of helping to push up prices at least a small amount. But as you said, the new thing in the marketplace is is the connection with biofuels. Uh, as higher oil prices increase the demand for biofuels, that means that a higher uh, oil price is now correlated with not just with a uh, reduction in supply of food, but also with an increase in the demand for, for corn, for soybean oil, and other feedstocks used in biofuel production. Uh, they, you know, that means now that we're, we're having a two-pronged effect on, on the prices of food. In fact, this latter effect may well be larger on food prices than the effect just coming from the cost of production alone. Um, now, of course, if you're a livestock producer, uh, there's not a lot of positive here. You know, for a crop producer, the higher demand for biofuels and the higher resulting prices can offset some or all of the increase in production costs that they're facing. But for a livestock producer, it's kind of a double whammy. You know, they're facing the higher cost of producing uh, hogs, chickens, uh, poultry, or, uh, uh, cattle, etc. At the same time that they're they're paying higher prices for feed as well. So their income is definitely reduced, and that results over time in, in reduced levels of, of meat production, reduced levels of dairy production, and therefore higher prices at the consumer level uh, for those products as well. Well, let's move to one of the issues that I find, you know, in some ways the most difficult to understand, and in, in some ways maybe that's why it gets as much press as it does. But um, talk to me about the the speculative argument, um, basically that um, index funds uh, and and increased um, and increased role of index funds has kind of pushed up um, food prices. What maybe even break that argument down for me into a basic um, level? What's the argument? that's basically being made here? Well, again, one of the arguments is that we have a lot of uh, new money, if you will, involved in commodity markets. Uh, there are index funds, there are other um, uh, sources of, of revenue that are, that are finding their way into the commodity markets. Uh, the index funds in particular are known as being long side only, 
uh, speculators, that is to say that they're putting all their money on the side of, uh, of things that are going to track prices higher if they go higher, and they will make money if, if indeed prices do move up over time. Um, so some people have kind of contended that uh, all that additional investment on, on that side of the market has, has had the effect of, uh, of uh, pushing up prices as well. So if you have more people trying to buy um, or they're betting on, on higher prices, you know, it's going to have the effect of, of uh, uh, pushing those prices up. Uh, as, as people are only, uh, you know, as new source of demand, if you will, is coming into just one side of the market. Now, whether that's actually the case or not is has been very controversial. Uh, while it's certainly true in any given day of the week, what people decide to do in those futures markets will determine the price of corn, of wheat, and of other commodities on that given day. It's a more, di- it's a very different question of whether they can really affect the, the price of commodities a lot over a longer stretch of time. And part of the reason for that is is what has to happen in terms of the fundamentals uh, for for that to be sustained. If let's suppose that uh, that uh, speculators in the market are somehow able to push the price of corn higher than the otherwise uh, fundamentals would suggest it should be, if that occurs and is and persists for some period of time, the higher price for corn is going to result in more corn production, is going to result in less demand, less consumption of corn uh, in the U.S. and around the world. And the net effect is going to be that there's going to be you know, more corn that has to be stored by somebody. Somebody has to be willing to store the corn that's not being consumed and that is being produced that wouldn't have been there otherwise. Well, that can work for a while, but eventually someone's going to say, now, wait a second, you know, why am I holding on to all this commodity that nobody seems to want? And so it ends up being kind of a natural check on things that if uh, these stocks build to too high of a level, eventually there'll be a correction and eventually we'll see uh, markets come back into line. So while, I, again, I'm not denying the possibility that speculation can play a, a, day, a role in day-to-day movements of market prices, I think it's much harder for speculative behavior to have a, a large impact on prices in the longer run. Yeah, certainly that's consistent, I think, with a, a recent article that came out in Applied Economics Perspectives and Policy by uh, Scott Irwin and Dwight Sanders. They review all that literature and 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 suggest there's no smoking gun in the sense that there's no clear um, evidence of of an effect. But I guess I imagine it's going to remain a, a subject of debate for some time in our field. I th- yes, I think that's very safe to say because again, there you know uh, there's there's many things that are very difficult to entangle here, and uh, you know, there's no single indicator that's going to tell you what the price should be on any given day of the week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I. Um, since you you know you finished the book in um, in 2010 and you focused on the 2005 to 2009 time period, has anything recently happened that's changed your uh, perspective, uh, or do you think basically you hit the main themes in, in the book? Sure, I think for the most part I'm reasonably happy that the the themes laid out in the book are probably still hold in, in more recent uh, market developments. If you look what's occurred to commodity markets in 2010 and 2011. Uh, you can see a lot of the factors at play that are discussed in the book. You know, why have prices increased so much over the last year, for example, for, for grains? A large part of the story in, in 2010 and 2011 is a, a short crop of grain around the world in 2010. Uh, we saw reduced production of wheat in Ukraine, in Russia, and a number of other countries. Uh, that resulted in less wheat being available in global markets in the summer of 2010 than people had been expecting, causing a very sharp run-up in, in those grain prices at that time. In the U.S., on the other hand, we were expecting to get a record crop of corn as recently as May of 2010. 
uh, you know, the estimates coming out of USDA for the largest corn crop ever, and people were expecting this to put downward pressure on prices, and indeed prices were much, much lower than they'd been at the peak of uh, commodity markets in 2007 and 2008. Then just a few months later, we were learning that, well, that corn 2010 corn crop in the U.S. wasn't nearly as big as we thought it was going to be, and uh, a fairly significant downward revision in the estimates of the size of that crop corresponded with a big run-up in the prices of, of corn in global markets. Uh, since the fall of 2010, there's been lots of other factors at play besides just the weather. Uh, we've seen you know, significant movements in oil prices both up and down. Now that's had an effect on the demand for biofuels. It's had uh, a spillover effect on commodity markets as well. We've seen major changes in exchange rates, something we haven't talked about so far. As the value of the dollar, uh, U.S. dollar goes up or goes down, uh, that affects how much foreign producers and consumers are, are getting for or paying for um, the, the products that they're producing and consuming in their domestic currencies, and that can have a major impact on, on markets as well. So I think we've seen a lot of the, the factors at play that were discussed in the book continuing to be uh, important today. Yeah, let's touch again on that currency point because I think uh, it's an important point. So uh, if the U.S. dollar goes down, then essentially it makes it cheaper for other places to buy food. Is that the argument? That's right. So if, if the dollar gets uh, weaker against other currencies, let's say against the Japanese yen, to take a very mm-hmm. simple example, uh, that means that when, when uh, uh, buyers in Japan are purchasing U.S. corn or some other U.S. product, uh, it's, it takes fewer yen to buy that product. And so it becomes more affordable for domestic consumers in Japan uh, to buy that product. If you're talking about, say, Brazil as a, as a major competitor in global markets, when the price of soybeans um, is what it, is, I mean, it happens to be in a given day of the week, but the value of the dollar changes, if the dollar gets weaker against Brazilian currency, you know, that has the effect of, uh, of, uh, you know, of, of making uh, products in Brazil uh, not be able to sell for the same price they were previously. And so that means that you're also going to have uh, fewer supplies coming out of Brazil in the future. And that will also have the effect of helping to drive up prices measured in dollars. When you end your, one of the last sections in your book, you talk about uh, thinking, looking into the future. And while you're cautious to say that you don't have a, a crystal ball, you, you talk about um, some work that you do. You do a lot of simulations of what the future might look like. And you talk about three different visions of the future. Um, talk to me about those those three visions. Sure. A lot of what we've been talking about so far has been focused on the relatively short run. I mean, what, what determines the price of uh, food this year or next year? But if you want to talk about what the price of food is going to be 10 years, 20 years, 50 years from now, it's probably also very, very important to look at some longer-term uh, factors that affect food prices. In addition to the things we've already talked about, two of those are technology and population growth. Uh, the rate of growth in the world's population has been slowing in recent years. We're still, you know, the, the world's population is continuing to grow. We expect it to pass 9 billion people by the year 2050, which indeed is a major challenge in front of the global food system. You know, where are we going to get the food to feed an additional 2 billion people, especially if those, uh, those uh, that income uh, population growth is going to go along with the increasing incomes as well and therefore changes in diets. So that is indeed a very major challenge in front of us. But as I point out, that rate of population growth is indeed slowing. So if, if we've been able to um, have a global system that can, can meet the demands of people over the last 20 or 30 years when population was growing more rapidly, at least that aspect of things shouldn't be quite as challenging in front of us as it has been. Uh, so, so the population growth, again, is very, very critical and what the income of that population is as well. In terms of technology, uh, you know, that's kind of the other side of the ledger. 
how fast are we able to increase the, the amount of corn, the amount of wheat, the amount of rice that we obtain from a single hectare or acre of land around the world. Uh, world growth in yields has been uh, fairly steady over the last 30 years, uh, at least by some measures. Uh, so the, am the amount of additional grain that we're going to uh, be able to produce in a given hectare of land has grown steadily over time. And as a result, we've been able to produce a lot more grain, a lot more food in general, without increasing the amount of land use for crop production nearly as much. Uh, if we can continue to grow crop yields at the kind of pace we have over the last 30 years, then satisfying the demand uh, for food in the future will not be nearly as challenging as it would be if that, that rate of growth in technology were to slow. So uh, people are very concerned about whether we're investing enough in agricultural research, both in terms of the public sector and the private sector, to be able to get those kind of, um, of growth and yields in the future. And of course, whether our resource base uh, is such that will allow as well. You know, the people are concerned very much about the availability and quality of water around the world, uh, soil erosion, and of course, climate change as, as things that could be threats to, uh, to, to the future um, uh, supply uh, of food around the world. So again, a major demand side factor being population growth and, and the income growth that will affect uh, food demand and the supply side, how fast are we able to grow crop yields over the next several decades to meet that demand. If you had to project, do you think we'll see, uh, you know, increased volatility in food prices, or will we be able to tackle this? Do you have a sense uh, or a guess of which way it might go? We, we've definitely seen a huge increase in volatility by at least some measures in recent years, um, uh, and, and I frankly expect that we're going to see continued volatility at least for a few more years to come here. Uh, as long as our, our stocks of, of grain that we carry over from one year to the next remain very small, any small uh, effect of uh, supply or demand on those stock levels will have a big effect on prices. So until we have a, a, a more stable situation that allows us to rebuild some of those stocks, we're probably going to continue to have markets that are very sensitive to even the smallest perturbation. I, I do think the linkage between food markets and petroleum and other energy markets is going to continue to be very strong in the future. And so that means uh, unless we, we figure out a way to make energy prices much more stable than they have been, we're probably going to continue to have very unstable uh, food prices as well. Now, do you see any policies out there? Are you an advocate of any particular policies that, that you think we should be pursuing, um, both in Canada and in the United States? Well, as part of my job with the uh, the Food and Agricultural Policy Research Institute, uh, we do look at policies on a daily basis uh, for U.S. Congress and other decision makers. We try to avoid making policy recommendations, but I can probably make at least some observations about what things do appear to have certain effects and what things don't. Uh, in the past, there's been a lot of controversy about uh, policies in developed countries in general, in the U.S. in particular, about what effects they might be having on global markets. Until about 2007, probably the, the thing you were hearing most commonly in international fora were concerns that U.S. Uh, farm programs were having the effect of, of subsidizing U.S. production of grain and other uh, crops and therefore depressing prices for food in global markets with detrimental effects on, on uh, producers around the world. Uh, and so many people were concerned about those policies and wanted to see changes in those policies so as to not have those effects on uh, farmers in other countries. Then I think things kind of did a 180 uh, in 2007 and 2008 as, as food prices increased very sharply. People started focusing instead on biofuel policy as being a major cause of the increase in prices that we were observing that, that period of time, pointing out the effect of those higher food prices on, on consumers around the world and suggesting that the U.S. needed to change those policies to avoid having 
uh, those effects on, on food prices. So, you know, someone ironically went from a, a situation where people were complaining about U.S. policies as causing food prices to be too low to uh, just a, you know, a couple of years later, people complaining about U.S. policies as, as uh, being a major cause of prices being, being too high. And in the book, I try to point out that U.S. policies do indeed have both of those effects on, on world markets, as do policies in many other countries around the world. So I think a lot of it comes down to what do we really want to try to achieve with our, our, our uh, policies in the future? You know, are we trying to uh, primarily uh, make food as affordable as humanly possible for everybody around the world? If that's the case, subsidizing production can actually be a good thing. And, uh, and trying to uh, do things that would reduce the amount of demand for biofuels and other things that divert uh, um, grains and, and other products into uh, to making fuel w would also be a you know, desirable change in policy if that's your major objective in life. If, on the other hand, you're, you're more concerned or as concerned about the welfare of, of farmers around the world, uh, even in developing countries, it may well be the case that you want just the opposite of policies. You actually want to talk about trying to reduce the kind of subsidies we have for crop production in, in uh, Europe and, and North America and actually uh, uh, you know, thinking that biofuel policies that, that tend to increase the demand for food might actually be, be on balance a good thing. So again, it very much depends on who we're talking about um, and, uh, and what sort of uh, goals one has for the global food system. Well, that's a, a, I think a good point to end it on with two visions of the future, really. One in which uh, the policy is kind of oriented towards reducing the price of, of, of food to benefit um, people in lower income um, countries around the world and the other in which it's try, uh, you know it's worried about um, farm producers in developing countries and that they are beneficiaries potentially of a higher food price. Patrick, I want to thank you for coming and joining us and discussing your book, The Economics of Food, How Feeding and Fueling the Planet Affects Food Prices, by F, put out by FD Press. Thanks very much. Thanks for the opportunity. <laughs>